Welcome to the Weird Thing Podcast, Episode 8, Microaggressions and Good Intentions. My name is Jens and my co-hosts today are Joachim and Suzanne. Before we dig into the examples, I think we should talk a little bit about what a microaggression actually is. Jochen, could you tell us how you understand a microaggression? Yes, I could try. I find it a, a difficult con uh, concept because it's relatively new to me, but also because there is not a clear difference between discrimination in general and microaggressions. There is, as far as I am concerned, a large gray area between those. So I looked at Wikipedia and they said that microaggression is a term used for commonplace daily verbal, behavioral or environmental slides, whether unintentional or intentional that communicate hostile, derogatory or negative attitudes towards stigmatized or cultural marginalized groups, which is a mouthful. Someone else described it as it's the small everyday things that happen, those little slides that make you feel a little different or a little bit less valued than other people. And that is a definition that I can work with and that's made the concept a bit more clear for, my, uh, for myself. Okay, so we have this distinction, this not very clear distinction between microaggressions and aggressions or macroaggressions. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who just says, oh, you need to live with this, this is just normal life, learn to handle it? Oi, it depends on who it is and in what context they say this. When we talked about this in our last meeting, you, you, you said that only the victim decides what a microaggression is. And um, yes and no. The thing is that microaggression often is below the threshold of the people doing or making this microaggression. Often it is unintentional, so they won't notice. And that makes it uh, diff difficult. But I think it is important because those little things, if every day, 10 times I hear that I am not important or that I am valued less or that I am not worth, that crawls into my system. And after years, it can be traumatizing and can do really bad things when it comes to self-worth, the concept of self in general. So no, I don't have to deal with it. Uh, or better said, I shouldn't have to deal with this kind of stuff on a daily basis. I feel the urgent need to clarify something there. <laughs> I, don't say, <laughs> oh, please do. I don't mean that only the victim defines what a microaggression is. I think that's very no, dangerous no. to define it this way. But I heard people defining it like this. And I think mm -hmm. that doesn't help us because yeah. you need to... Clarify to the aggressor in that case why this behavior is aggressive. Yeah. 
And on the other hand, if only the victim would define what a microaggression is, we've seen this example in the news where a woman felt threatened in a park because a black man was walking his dog there. And even if she felt threatened, that was not a microaggression. He was just walking his dog. So yeah. there is a level where you say, that's just normal life. That's what happens. And mm -hmm. then there is a level where maybe the aggressor doesn't realize why it's aggressive. But if yeah. you think about it and work it out, you will see why it is. And also when they're so micro, sometimes for the victim, it's not obvious in the first time. It becomes obvious after several times or when they realize there is a pattern to it. Yeah. But I think to clarify this more, we should go into some examples. Mm -hmm. Suzanne, could you provide us with an example for microaggressions to start with? I think microaggressions, to an extent, they can be very 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 individual what one person finds aggressive another one may feel that it isn't but for me as a as a queer heathen it would be somebody seeing the wedding ring on my finger and asking me what my husband does mm -hmm. and they may be doing that to be polite and just to ask you know asking about me asking about my life but they may not realize that I don't have a husband and If I hear that over and over and over again, like you were saying, Joachim, you start, it, it starts becoming something that you have to constantly deal with and that you can start thinking that way. If everybody tells me I should, you know, they're implying that I should have a husband, then do I start then starting to think about that and starting to think, oh, well, society assumes I must have one. So I think that, for me, would be a microaggression, but for somebody else, they might not see it the same way. Yeah, I have heard all kinds of variations on the theme. I would have never guessed you are, you are, you are, you are What a compliment for you, isn't it? And so the message, message is that It is better that people can't see I am a trans man than if people could see it. So trans people who can't be identified as being trans are better people than people that are obviously trans, which is a very weird message, I think. Well, it kind of erases trans people out of public space. Yeah. Because you tell them, you must be invisible to be a good trans person. Yeah, indeed. Or the other way around, I have heard too that trans men will, will never be real men. And they didn't uh, realize that I was a trans man. So I told them and they, <laughs> and they uh, turned red in, uh, in their face. Oh yeah, I remember some similar episodes. I think... I've outed myself a few times when I heard either, oh yeah, these gay people, you can see them, you can recognize them by their high-pitched voice, their broken wrist gesture and all this. And mm. I remember another episode where some well-meaning co-apprentice, it's more than 20 years ago, told me, yeah, you know, well, in homosexual couples, always one of them 
takes the more female and the other one takes the more male part to oh, which yeah. i basically replied that's nonsense and by the way i'm gay <laughs> <laughs> brilliant <laughs> they are well meaning in this moment because they they think they understood something but what these people actually do is just putting homosexual relationships into the pattern they know from straight relationships Mm -hmm. so the other interesting more interesting interesting thing is to ask them how do you tell an heterosexual couple who is the male and who is the female <laughs> and then you learn interesting things about their gender concepts yeah and how they not fit reality <laughs> yeah i happen to be gay uh, as well and when i first came out as trans I had hormones already. And again, about that uh, male-female stuff in gay re relationships, they automatically assumed that I would be the female one because I am trans. So that was two weird assumptions and annoying assumptions. Oh, yes, it definitely meant it didn't relate to what you wanted to be. I understand they pushed you back into your old role, which you tried to change. Yeah, exactly. And that has the assumption in it that, again, trans men will never become real men, which isn't true either. Susan, do you have some more examples? I think the ones that I have from within a a faith context, a context of heathenry, was being asked to go and do a child's naming ceremony and sort of arriving and, and being able to set up and everything else. And after I'd done the ceremony, one of the male guests came up and, and said that they'd assumed that I wasn't going to be the celebrant because I was a woman. And he didn't think that women could be celebrants in our faith. And that Whoa. was, yeah, it was, that, it stopped me in my tracks for a minute. That sounds more like a macroaggression to me. Yeah, luckily I didn't <laughs> hit him because I was being paid to be there. And I didn't kind of want to leave a bad impression on, on the other guests. But he was, he'd said, I, you know, I'd done a very good job considering. And I was like, okay. Sometimes when things like that happen, you don't know how to respond to them. Yeah. And that can give that other person sort of almost an encouragement to continue doing it, almost. Continue holding mm -hmm. that opinion because they take your silence as an understanding that it's okay. Uh, yeah. So he had a very strong and specific opinion, which he was quite happy to share. And sometimes, you, you know, that, that time I didn't know what to do with it. I can imagine that you don't know how to respond to this kind of really old-fashioned <laughs> statement. It was. It was a very old-fashioned, very gender-traditional gender role statement. And yeah, that, the first time it happened, I didn't know what to do with it. But yeah, sometimes when Kate and I have been going out to places our friends that have known us or people that have known us and seen us around the community for a very long time will go up to Kate and go, do you know I can't tell? 
uh, you know, if I didn't know, I wouldn't be able to tell that you hadn't been born that way. And I'm just like, ow. Yeah. So, or the ones that are very well-meaning and will call her by her dead name. Mm. Or continue to use that dead name. And that's a very tricky one for us because we accept that people can make mistakes, especially with somebody that you've known for a very long time who's changed their name. Um, Mm -hmm. But when it continues happening and then continues happening, or they say, oh, well, you'll always be so-and-so to me and uses the dead name, then we take that as a microaggression because it's not recognized. I was about to ask, when does it move from being just a mistake to becoming a microaggression to becoming a macroaggression? Yeah, indeed. Good, mm-hmm. uh, good question. I think for us, one or two times is a mistake. And after that, it goes into being a microaggression of, oh, yes, I'm sorry, I'll use the right name and using the correct name. But if they're deliberately and continuously using the old name, and they're, they're sort of not taking any, if we correct them and say, oh, you need to use this name and pronouns now, and that is not respected, then it becomes a very big aggression. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I could always feel the difference be- between people who were really trying but made an honest mistake and people who didn't get it or didn't want to get it and therefore made mistakes because they basically were ignoring my identity. Mm. And luckily, when taking testosterone, I think in a year time, when I was walking on the street, people, of course, saw a a man because uh, testosterone is a really strong hormone and is doing all the physical changes. And I noticed at that time, my boss at my work was finding it really difficult to accept. And he was making mistakes even two years later. And it became very embarrassing. And the interesting thing was that in the, in the beginning, I didn't feel seen and I felt annoyed. But the longer it took, uh, the more it became embarrassing for him. When we, yeah, with co-workers, they all all knew because it was a very small team. But they all accepted it except for my boss. And even when we were on the the street or outside uh, uh, somewhere, people were looking weird at him why he would say she or her to a man so he was the weird one and that was for me satisfying to see and to realize because it really again ate ate uh, uh, away my self-worth and my feelings of dignity because it was humiliating And that helped me noticing that he was seen as weird and not me. That helped me to not feel violated by him. Almost I felt a sort of pity for my boss because, yeah, this 
sad man can't uh, accept it. So it turned uh, around, luckily. But that took some time. I think that's very important to hear this, to talk about it. I also feel we're slightly losing our focus of the good intentions part. Oh. Any one of you can provide a good intentions example going bad (laughs) or going the wrong way. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I am... (laughs) <laughs> yes, I am really uh, triggered by good intentions because a lot of the time, and especially when it comes to having a disability, all kinds of peoples, people on the street or people from all kinds of services make assumptions about what I, I am able to do and what I am not able to do. And they offer help often without asking. It's really, really annoying. And it makes me really angry. An example is one time I was traveling to England or to the UK for a queer pagan camp. And I was in my wheelchair having three bags with me, one on the back of my wheelchair, one on my lap, and, and one like rolling behind my wheelchair, tied to my wheelchair, of course. So it was a lot of luggage and I was in between. And one person asked uh, when I was in the train and it was time to step uh, step out of the tra- train and she asked me, can I help you? And I said, no, uh, no, thanks. I am waiting for uh, someone to help me to step out. And that has to be someone working with the trains because there is some technical thing needed. And despite my answer, she grabbed the luggage from my lap and took it outside. And I needed that, that piece of luggage for counterbalance. So I needed to adjust my weight immediately. Otherwise, I would have fallen backwards because of all the luggage at the back of my wheelchair. And so I was quite annoyed. And my revenge was that I let her stand outside for a a while, still carrying my luggage, waiting for this person to come to help me outside just to show, yeah. Don't do it if I say no. Another example is connected to all kinds of services that every time again, they assume that my hat or basically that I am stupid because I am using a wheelchair. So I am a client. So I probably won't understand all the rules and uh, regulations, which isn't true. Most often it's the other way around because I exactly know all kinds of rules and regulations. For example, what aid I am entitled to have and I have to explain it to them and they say, no, you don't understand it. It's like this and this and I can No, you don't understand. It is written here and here and here that I am in, entitled to have this. Last year, it took me four weeks of yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, before they saw that I had been right all that time. And that is, and uh, oh yeah, and then coming back to the good intentions, their reply was, but my intentions were good. I tried to help you. 
and shall I replied in the direction of yeah but if you listen to me and take seriously what I say to you then you can help me but you have to listen to me Again, I'm surprised by what you classify as a microaggression and what more is because asking you if you need help is a good thing to start with, in my opinion. For yes. me, it's really the right thing to do, just ask, but ignoring the answer is more than just a microaggression, in my opinion. Yeah, I was talking about uh, good, good intentions and let go the microaggression. Uh, for a while i'm not sure if that is a microaggression or a macroaggression i felt quite frustrated about it on a much lower level compared to this honestly another example of good intentions which turn out bad which i probably would not remember if it had only happened once to me but i experienced it a few times and the general pattern is that someone usually straight woman asked me on something like a heathen event how did you meet your partner did you meet him here and it's especially this expectation oh i want to hear some romantic story about this right now yeah how wonderfully tolerant we are that such things happen and unfortunately i well not unfortunately uh, truthfully i have to tell her no i've met my partner under very specific gay circumstances, because that's how probably 99% of gay couples meet. That's just mm -hmm. still the world we're living in. And maybe it will always be the same. It's not really a big thing, in my opinion. But this expectation, I try to show interest, but actually I want to be confirmed that how tolerant we all are, so that this getting to know each other for gay people happens under such circumstances sounds really odd to me and it becomes a bit microaggressive when i need to tell them no it's been very different yeah so the most romantic version is some other gay friends introduced us to each other mm -hmm. but the truth may also be we've met at a gay bar in the gay sports club on a gay dating website which is totally normal but does not want to be seen by people who think, oh, we're so much at normal. It's, it's so great. Yeah, things have improved. It's good that we talk about microaggressions and not about macroaggressions. But we're not really there yet where some people would like to see the society. I agree. Yeah. How do you see that, Susan? Yeah, I think very much that it, it's very yeah what one person sees as a a microaggression might be somebody else's macroaggression and you're right it's it's where society is as a whole and how we are collectively learning what is not appropriate anymore and what is and the language is changing with every generation and every new understanding and for me i kind of i hope it will get to the point where microaggressions are not tolerated at all mm -hmm. if we look back this is meant to be a heathen podcast to our <laughs> different heathen sources how do you see it in the in the sagas in the eddas and in, in the old stories 
maybe you two can comment on that being real uh, proper heathens and I'm just a floating pagan of all sorts. I think for me when I'm reading back through the sagas and the Eddas I see a lot of what I would view as quite aggressive behavior, quite direct, quite brutal in some cases. How they would view that behavior, some of it is acceptable to their, them and some of it isn't because you can see their reactions in, in the sagas and in the myth cycle. But what they would class as acceptable and what we would, I think, are two different things. Yeah, makes sense. So when I had a look at it, and with my first idea of microaggressions are things which the aggressor not really is aware of, I had the feeling they know very well what they're doing. It's quite obviously violent. We have the Lucasena where Loki insults basically all other gods. We have the, I think it's the Harbron poem, where Thor and Odin have kind of an insulting duel there. But when Jochem clarified the definition of microaggression, I thought, yeah, for them, this probably would have been microaggressions. Or maybe it was just fun for them at that time because they were so busy with other kinds of aggression. But that's thousand years ago and more. And I hope that we developed a bit as a society. <laughs> yes. I would like to think so. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, I realized that the time when these stories happened and the time that they were written down are very different. So there also might be translation issues uh, involved or different understandings of how society works. As we said, that how people treat each other is also depending on the culture. So what might have been appropriate in the time that these stories are may be different than the time that they were written down and definitely are different than uh, nowadays. <laughs> mm. Mm, very much so, yes. And I think when we talked about this episode and talking about good intentions, that there popped up, I think, two interesting uh, stories that are Edda-related. Maybe one of you can tell about these uh, stories. The one really obvious example for me about good intentions going terribly in the wrong direction is the story about Baldur's death, which starts with Baldur dreaming about his death, telling his mother about it, and his mother being very protective. Frigga goes through all the nine worlds and asks almost everyone and everything for an oath not to harm Baldur. Mm -hmm. So she becomes very protective. That's very obviously her good intentions. And with this, she actually triggers the chain of events, which in the end leads to Baldur's death. Yeah, that is a good, uh, good intention going uh, sadly wrong. Returning to 
it's Loki who is really annoyed by all these things and then really causes Baldur's death. If you think about it, Loki is insulted a lot by the other gods. Mm -hmm. mm. And so you can get to the point of view that all these microaggressions escalate into something which ends up in the Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. So it's a good idea to slow them down and uh, try to move into the other direction. Yeah. What I didn't realize, but a psychologist told me that we know trauma by the big things in life, but this uh, psychologist explained that trauma can arise from a, a series of uh, microaggressions as well. Because if the me uh, message year after year after year is that you uh, the, that you don't matter, of that there is no place for you in this world, or that your value as a human being is less than other people, then that becomes or can become traumatizing. If you look at the job life and replace trauma by burnout, they don't <laughs> happen because of the one big event which is uh, bringing people down. It's the constant overstretching of their resources, of their psychological resources. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, <laughs> and then going back to Loki, who is been calling names uh, by the other gods or being excluded from the group again and again and again and again and again, then, yeah, I can imagine that Loki gets twisted in his head and doing weird uh, or nasty things. And maybe we see the result of that in the Locaseno where he just strides into the, the party and starts insulting everybody with, with no apparent reason why. It's because he's had all of those you know, all of those past experiences, and he's just got to that breaking point. Mm -hmm. If I'm wrong, he's not invited to that party. He's really party crashing there because mm -hmm. he's not invited. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that not getting invited is his that last little bit that just causes him to snap. Yeah, could be. It's interesting. I never thought about this point of view, connecting to that story. It's an interesting one, and I'm going to think about this for a while, I think. So what we have here is basically the gods are setting a bad example by piling up bad actions, which in the end causes the end of the worlds. <laughs> As microaggressions go, yes. <laughs> it's quite a... <laughs> Quite a big response. <laughs> you need many of them to achieve that, but it works. <laughs> That's the thing about the gods, that if things go wrong, they really go wrong because they're so strong and everything. I have seen that with the Greek gods when I was in high school. We learned about the Greek gods. And that was a bloody mess as well. They were so human in a way, but 
always fighting around and all kinds of wars uh, interfering and yeah things went wrong and because the gods were involved things went horribly wrong that's interesting we will look into the gods more in the next episode is there anything one of you would like to throw into this podcast right now or today Well, maybe one more example of a good intention and a microaggression combined. I have been complimented that I live alone by myself while uh, having a disability because people or some uh, some people, not, uh, not all people, are really surprised to learn that I am able to live without any kind of support as a wheelchair user. And sometimes they even say, wow, that's good of you, which is quite annoying. To hear that sort of day in, day out, when you're thinking, no, I'm, I'm capable of doing this, I like doing it this way, to hear other people's assumptions that they feel you, you know, you're very brave or you're that's brilliant that you're able to live alone. It sort of shows that assumption that they don't feel that disabled people are capable of living a life independent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So to sum up, microaggressions may occur out of good intentions. They may be unintentional just because people don't care at all. They may be intentional and considered by the person who issues them as minor things. But wherever they come from, they pile up and they cause bigger harm than you think in the first moment. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. Uh, mm. Yeah. So what we need to do there is to talk with each other, to listen to each other. I'm kind of hearing Frigga here. We need to listen more. <laughs> 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 because this really helps us to understand what is a microaggression how can i avoid it we also need to listen into ourselves to see okay what hurts me in the long run and what maybe doesn't yeah we need to be careful not to internalize these microaggressions and project them onto ourselves And on to other people as well. Exactly, yeah. Okay, Joachim, Suzanne, thank you for this podcast. You will hear us the next time with an episode about the gods. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Weird Thing. Thank you for listening. And we did it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a lot one. I think that's a lot of editing, but we will see. We'll Does see. Does anyone yeah. volunteer to edit this one? 
should have sold it better. I have, I am having uh, issues with my laptop uh, that make it uh, Im, uh, impossible to uh, to uh, edit. Um, yes, uh, it has memory issues, so that's why I'm volunteering to do uh, trans uh, transcriptions instead of editing. If that's all right. I've started the transcription. I think we can ask Craig to leave. Okay. Bye, yeah. Craig. <laughs>